0: Good morning. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Micah if you take your Bibles out and turn to Micah and then we'll be in Matthew. They're kind of close together. Micah is uh, right at the end of the Old Testament and Matthew is right at the beginning of the New. So uh, we'll be in both of those books here in a moment. What a wonderful day. Um, Man, I I just love the the gifts in our church. Uh, Those that come and sing as part of our worship team, uh, those who are in the sound booth helping there with sound and Uh, video and tech, uh, those who are helping uh, to just make sure people have seats. And uh, then Trilly, Darcy, amazing singing and playing together. That was just a blessing. Thank you very much for that. Um, What an amazing thing. And then our children's church workers who are now receiving all of our children and going to teach them about Jesus and how much he loves them. So really, really amazing time. Um, thank you for all of that. And then to celebrate in a baptism as well today has just been phenomenal, right? I mean, that's just an awesome opportunity for us to see uh, the hope that we have and to, to proclaim the hope we have uh, and, and just know like in our church and in, in, in God's church, there should be birth, right? Actual physical babies being born, which we hear and we see and we know that it's happening, right? Uh, there should be not only birth, there should be new birth happening, Right, where people are coming to faith in Christ, repenting of sin and trusting him as Savior, and that's happening. And then we see that publicly professed as they uh, come and be baptized, uh, just proclaim publicly that Christ has changed them and done something. We see uh, marriages happening too. So it's not just uh, a church full of funerals, right? It's a church full of life uh, and vibrance and faithfulness to God and, and God's Word. So we're grateful for that. Um, again, we're in, in Micah chapter 5. We're going to be there uh, reading out of that prophecy in just a moment. Uh, we are continuing on in our series now, Songs of Christmas, and again, there are thousands of them. We're picking four out, and today's song is O Little Town of Bethlehem, and in fact, it's actually in the inside of your bulletin. It's typed out for you and printed out inside the bulletin, not on the notes, so if you wanted to follow along with that or look at that when it's not on the screen, that would be fine as well. It'll be up there in just a few minutes. Uh, we started with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we started with longing for Christ to come. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you. We need the Savior. Then we uh, last week talked about the first Noel, and it was a, uh, a recounting of the, of the glory of God, of the grace of God, of what he's done. And we recounted uh, that, that there were glad tidings, right, of, of great joy, good news of great joy for all people, right, that this was what we are recounting and we're counting on, that that, that news was for everybody. And today we're going towards uh, hoping, hoping in the humility of Christ and uh, hoping in our own humility to get us to a place of real belief and real faith. So we'll look at that today. This song uh, was written by a New England pastor, his name was Phillips Brooks, and he penned this song in 1868. So it's not as old as a lot of the songs that we sing, uh, but it's very, very deeply meaningful. And it happened, he had gone to Israel in 1865 and um, he had gone on a journey from Jerusalem, to Bethlehem by horseback, and he came into into Bethlehem on Christmas Eve night. And as he stayed there, uh, the story recounts that 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 small quaint town, of course, of hundreds of people back in Jesus' day, now around three thousand or four thousand in Philip's day. Uh, he, as he was there, there was music being played. Church choirs were singing all throughout the night, and, and he, he, he understood that this this symbolically small town, this quaint town, this kind of insignificant town, uh, was contrasted with this great worship and praise of God, and what he understood, and he kind of for a moment put himself back in that first Christmas where the angels would sing and proclaim the Savior was born, and where the shepherds would rejoice, and where wise men would come, and, and Bethlehem, all of Bethlehem that Christmas Eve was full of radiance and praise to the glory of God. And he, he just had this stark contrast in mind. And as he, as he came back from Bethlehem, as he came back to the United States, he, he began to mull over and think about some, some lyrics. And, and he, he finally, in 18, late, late 1867, early sixty eight, he penned uh, this song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And, and at, by Christmas of 1868, he had asked, or just before that, he had asked his organist. He said, listen, I, I need you to put music to this poem that I wrote. I need you to find the melody of this song so we can sing this and present this as a song at our Christmas service and when our children perform. And And that was the, the charge put onto this organist. And the organist said, yes, sir, I'll do it. And and for many days, many weeks, he was stumped. He had nothing. Nothing came to mind. And he was getting to that place of like, this is just going to be read as a poem, right? On Christmas Day, there's not going to be music to it at all. And then on uh, the day before, he was to go and present this song to this, to this choir to sing, he he, just, he, he attributed it to God. God gave me this song. It was a Christmas miracle that, that in the middle of the night, just this, this melody came to mind. And he put this melody into this song, and that, that is the melody we sing today, still, a little town of Bethlehem. And it's such a beautiful song, but it reminds us, and today it will remind us of, as we hope towards, towards uh, heaven, we hope in Jesus, our hope, we're hoping in humility. And we're seeing that humility uh, in this little town of Bethlehem. And we're going to see how how that contrasts the glory of God and the strength of God. Where where, where someone might be weak, he is what? Strong, right? Where, where we might feel insignificant, he is most significant. So we'll see that today as we go through our text. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Father, I thank you so much for this time of the year, again, where we get to contemplate and think about and long for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, um, God, putting him on our hearts and mind. And, God, especially this time of the year where we can't help but hear a song about you. We know there are all kinds of Christmas songs, but real Christmas songs are about Jesus. God, help us to not only long for you, but to to recount that your good news of great joy is for all people. And today, as we're hoping in this humility, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us humble our own hearts so we could see what is the greatest gift of all, and that is Jesus Christ. We thank you. We ask that you be with us today as we look at your word, that you would convict us of sin, that you would move us to a place of repentance and faith and faithfulness in you. We thank you. We give you all the praise, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Then we're going to jump into Matthew, chapter 2. Bethlehem, Ephratah. You are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord and in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely For then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. If we go to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he to be born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the peoples and asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. This is the word of God. So today, as we look at this, we are, our title is, is Hoping in Humility. So we've been longing, we've been recounting, and today we're hoping, and we're hoping in humility. And oftentimes, that's not where our hope lies, and that's hopefully what we'll see in the contrast today and why Christmas is so important, that we are hoping actually in humility, not hoping in pride, not hoping in our own abilities, not hoping in some ruler one day to come and, and change the president who we have now into someone else, Right? We are hoping in something far greater than that, and it has to start in humility. So, uh, number one, as we hope in humility, as we hope in humility, it contrasts number one the temporary and the eternal. Right? There should be a contrast between the temporary and the eternal. If we look back at that, uh, we're going to go to our verse of our, our song, verse one. Let's let's look at this song and what it what it says, and then we'll break it down into the scriptures. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Again, this is penned from a pastor who, who had made this trek on Christmas Eve and stayed and experienced a little town of Bethlehem. And this quaint, small, seemingly, seemingly small uh, city, town, right, where Jesus was born. And one of the promises in this verse, and we won't put it back on the screen right now, but you can look in your bulletin and follow along or just listen to what I say. Uh, it it's A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. It's a still, quiet, quaint town above thy deep and dreamless sleep. We sing those lyrics sometimes, and I think it's good to pause and think, what does that mean? It's a deep and dreamless sleep. That's That's... Un, a bummer I think to me like I, it's just kind of dark and dreary right this is dark or it's sad and I wrote down these three words sad small and still it's just sad small and still and that still is not just like be still and hold still it's like it's like stale right above I deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by it's like day after day they go by yet in thy dark streets so acknowledging again the dark streets the darkness of of that sadness and that stillness and that smallness in that in the dark streets, what shineth the everlasting light? So there's this everlasting light. We talk about the idea of hoping in, in, uh, in humility. It's contrasting the temporary and the eternal, the temporal and the eternal, right? The the eternal is this everlasting light that he's talking about, and we'll, we'll look more into that. But it contrasts with the temporal, the temporary, what is here in the flesh, and that is their hopes and fears of all the years right? That's, that's what piles on us. That's what weighs on our shoulders. Our hopes that get dashed, our fears, because our hopes were dashed. It's like, will I ever make it? Will I ever see light at the end of the tunnel? Will I ever see a savior or a way out? Or will I ever be enough? And so the, the, this, this poem, this song was written to say, yes, it's those hopes and fears are met in thee me tonight. Tonight in Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, the everlasting light has come, has dawned there. Something is happening amidst the sad, small staleness of life. What did Micah say? He said, Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. It's like, listen, you are, you are weak, you are small, you are insignificant, you are small. And they're like, yeah, we know. Thanks for helping us with our hopes and fears today, right? He says, oh, no, it's okay. Out of one of you will, or Out of you will come a ruler, and he'll rule over Israel for me. Oh, good. There will be a ruler. There will be someone that comes and rules and reigns. We'll have a change here. We'll have some, some, some life, kind of vibrant life there. But the, the prophecy went on further than that. It wasn't just that, hey, we're, we're going to make sure you have a good ruler one day that'll come out of you, little insignificant town. He, he describes that ruler, right? Because when, when we desire a ruler, when you and I desire a ruler, we're usually like, I just want a new leader in Washington. I want a new leader in public office. I want, to, I want someone else to that doesn't hold me as accountable, maybe in, in, my, in my own little personal realm. We're, we're looking for the temporary fix. And when someone says, hey, here's the new temporary fix, we're like, yay, this is great. And then eventually our hopes and fears are dashed again. So what was the everlasting light that is met in thee tonight that that is over all of our hopes and fears? Micah goes on. It's not just a ruler over my people Israel. We need to be reminded about who this ruler is. His origin is from antiquity. It's from ancient times. Who is this ruler? The eternal one is who this ruler is. Now that, that is what brings everlasting light. That is what brings everlasting hope in the midst of small, sad, stale stillness uh, when we have that kind of state of affairs. We know that, that there is a hope that is coming. This is the eternal promise, an eternal hope. And listen, it's not just about the manger. I I love the manger. I love the nativity scene. I love for what it stands for. But it's not just like, hey, a baby's going to be born and and he'll grow up to be this ruler. It's way deeper than that, isn't it? This ruler is not meant just to rule us physically, but to rule us spiritually. We see this in John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Our, Our memory verse for this month is verses 9 through 14. Hopefully you're memorizing that. This is about the eternal God that existed before the manger. John says this, in the beginning was the Word. Not at the manger, right? But in the beginning, before the manger, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. We get in the picture of this eternal one, This is God from all eternity past. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, right? The everlasting light shines, right? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Verse 9 is so important. This, This is kind of the crux of the Advent season, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light. You know who the true light is? The eternal God that's eternally existed in Father, Son, and Spirit. The eternal God was coming. This is what the, the, the song, or the, uh, Phillips Brooks wrote when he, when he penned this poem, this song. The everlasting light is talking about Jesus Christ. And it says he was in the world. And the world was uh, created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This, this is what happens when we have hopes and fears, but we hope in something that's temporary, and we don't care about the eternal. We want something different. And we want something different. We won't receive the eternal. But to all who did receive him, he gave them to be right, the right to be children of God, to those who would believe in his name, who were not born of natural descent, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but the will of God. The Word, verse 14, the Word, eternal God that's existed since since antiquity passed, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another way to say it, the eternal broke in to the temporal. Jesus came, God in the flesh. He was born, he lived, and ultimately died and rose again for us because he is the eternal one. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Listen, we we need the eternal savior. We don't need some temporary fix. We need the eternal savior and going on to this eternal savior psalm 102 verses 25 to 28 a great description here long ago it says the psalmist says long ago god you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish we're talking about the heavens we're not talking about like yet we're not talking about our clothes they'll make an analogy in a minute but we're talking about god's creation in a grand scale the universe it says they will perish but you endure you see this contrast between the, the seemingly small, which we would call Bethlehem, right? And, and versus the, the significant most high God. He's comparing the universe to Bethlehem here. He's like, the universe is actually seemingly small because it will perish and God will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You, God, will change them like a garment and they will pass away. Here's the promise, though. The eternal light, the everlasting light, the everlasting God. You are the same, and your years will never end. What does this mean for us? What is the hope that comes from this humility? We've been humbled like we are finite. Bethlehem is finite. We'll see Mary was finite. The universe is insignificant compared to the Most High God. What does that mean? If his, if, if He is the same and His years will never end, it means this. Verse 28, your servants' children will dwell securely. And their offspring will be established before you. God's saying, listen, in everything that's going to fade away, I am ready to gather you up and hold you firm so you have a place to stand safe and secure, that your hopes and fears will all be relieved because I am the eternal everlasting father, the word that became flesh and dwelt among you for you. Merry Christmas. That's what we're talking about. We hope in humility. We hope that we see God overthrow the insignificant with his might and his power. Hoping in humility means we contrast the temporary and the eternal. Number two, hoping in humility, we see that the weak will shame the strong. The weak will shame the strong. Let's look at verse two of our our, uh, song now. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars, together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. We'll shame the strong, weak, will shame the strong. Christ is born of Mary. Right? And, and this wondering love, the angels are gathered over this wondering love, and, and, and the morning stars together, they proclaim the holy birth and praise the sing to God the King and the peace to men on earth. The peace to men on earth is the strength of God accomplished through this virgin Mary, born of a woman. We see this in Luke chapter 1, the account of this. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now this is really great, just to stop and pause it for a minute. I want you to think about this, because uh, if we're really really ho- hoping in ourselves and hoping in our own ego and our own ability, you'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm favored by God. Of course I'm favored by God. Like, I'm God's gift to whatever, right? We think, I've done an awesome job. My faith is amazing. Obviously, God favors me. You know what her response was? You just said it, right? She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. I think in her, in her depth of her humility, in the depth of her feeling of insignificance, this teenage girl says, who, who me? Who, me? And you know what God says to that? Yes, you. Because God is going to use the weak to shame the strong. He's going to use the weak in order to accomplish his mission because in our weakness, he is strong. It went on, the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And we, we sometimes miss this because we run it together too much. You're going to have a baby and you're going name of Jesus. Right? This insignificant Seemingly insignificant woman, right, is going to have a baby, and and it goes on. He says, "He will be great." You see, it, the focus, yeah, the focus shifts off of off of the insignificant human. It says, "Yes, God, God uses the insignificant." In fact, even when I say that, I know people are like, "Well, you don't call Mary insignificant." Well, compared to the Most High God, we are all insignificant. Didn't I just say that the stars in the universe are insignificant compared to God? Mary was insignificant, but she had great significance, great value to God, and God used her for his glory. And and the proclamation was this, that he, the one born, Jesus, he will be great. We want to talk about great, he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. Forever. And how, and how wide and how long his kingdom will have no end right? And, and, and it will be to the ends of the earth. We'll see that in a few minutes as well. Mary asked, how, "How can this be since I am a virgin?" The angel replied to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most High will overshadow you, shadow you. Therefore the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Consider Elizabeth. She has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who, is, who was called childless for nothing will be impossible with God. She says, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This humble, meek, frightened teenage girl has an angel visit and says, God's going to use you. God's going to use the seemingly weak for something amazing. And in order to do that, he's picking out the weak so the strong can't boast. We'll see that, and Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians He says, brothers and sisters, uh, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world in order to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and even despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. What did he become? Wisdom from God for us and our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. If we go back to the song and see that last part, and praises sing to God the King in peace To men on earth. You know how how we see that played out? It's through Christ Jesus. The way we have peace on earth is from the wisdom of God, who who is Jesus Christ, who became the wisdom of God for us, and he became our righteousness. He became our sanctification. He became our redemption in order that. Why did he do this? Refer to the point. The weak could shame the strong. In order that, uh, as it is written, let no one Or let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we talk about Christmas, we talk about insignificant Bethlehem, we talk about insignificant Mary, we're talking about significant glory of God. Him doing something amazing through through what would seem insignificant. let's, Let's see this a little more deeply and clearly. God chose a stable, so no innkeeper could say, well, they chose my inn. They came to my hotel because it was four stars and had continental breakfast. Is that that what God wanted to accomplish? No. God chose a manger so that no woodworker could say, he came by and bought my crib. I mean, my crib was the one in style. It was sturdy. Of course they wanted my stuff. No, he's just born in a feeding trough. He... uh, He chose Bethlehem so that no city could boast. Hey, we are the greatest city and of course we have all of the amenities you could ever choose from and and we have all the glory and all the riches and all the wealth. Of course you would choose us. Of course you brought him here. He chose Bethlehem so no one could boast that we have the greatest city. And, And when he looked at you and me, he chose you and me and he chose to die for you and me freely and unconditionally to shut the mouth of all human boasting. When we talk about our Watch Your Mouth series, we talked about boasting, didn't we? There is no boasting in our own esteem. There's no boasting in our own city. There's no boasting in our own craftsmanship. There's no boasting in our own special Airbnb for baby Jesus. The boasting is all in Jesus. And what God has accomplished as Christ has come to earth in the most humble and lowly of ways, shaming the strong. There's hope that the weak, there's hope in our humility, right? Because Christ uses that, that the weak will shame the strong. I want you to think of this, and I, I mention this almost every year. Um, it, isn't it, isn't it uh, not odd, isn't it amazing that God says, Listen, all of you and me, all of us in our strongest, strength right life experience head on our shoulders our, our wits about us all of us in our strongest most most perfect position in life the, the thing about you in the day you'd want to stand before someone and give your speech and give and say look at who, how good I am all of us in our greatest strengths in our greatest wisdom are all rebuked by a tiny infant born of a virgin god's like hey you thought you were strong this baby is stronger than you could ever be. And he's a helpless baby lying in a manger. God uses the weak to shame the strong. Number three, as we go on to verse number three here, uh, as we hope and, hope and humility, we understand this, that only the empty can be filled. Only the empty can be filled. Let's look at verse three here. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. You know what's interesting about the song and about the situation was the song tells us here that, that it's a wondrous gift given to us, and God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. He's like, I'm coming to you, I'm coming to redeem and restore you, but no ear may hear his coming. Why? Because there's a world of sin. But where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Uh, this, this little scene in Bethlehem, we would have thought, man, this would have been like, shouted out. This is huge, right? What we see is we, we saw the angels proclaim this to some shepherds. And, and God revealed to, to the wise men that, hey, the stars appear. There's a king to be born. This was not one of those like, hey, the, the royal wedding, like that we're going to have a, televised everywhere. It was quiet. It was quiet. It was special. It was unique. And and the quietest things, when God comes in those quiet ways, those quiet things require us to be listening with our souls, to be listening with our heart. And and what we don't do a great job doing is that. We like to be loud. We like to to overthrow and overshadow the quiet, and we miss it. Jesus often said, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Hear. You've got to listen. You've got to listen if you have ears to hear. If you don't have ears to hear, what will happen? You won't hear. You'll miss it. And, and this is not only what is in our poem, but it, we see this in Scripture too. So many people claim, I, I want to be filled, and they claim, I, I have been filled. I have got the answer. I've got it down. And, and then others say, I'm just empty. I, I, I need to know the answer. And those are the, the ones that God can speak to. Those are the ones that will hear what God is saying. It's the difference between being filled and being empty, of hearing and not hearing. The filled are not hearing, the empty are open to hear. And we see this, and Hoyt read this as our opening passage of Scripture in Psalm 2. We see this raging happening from humanity against God. The psalmist writes, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? We could say, why, why don't they just quiet themselves, humble themselves, and listen? The kings of the earth, they take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed. They're against Jesus. This meek and mild baby born in a manger. Like, that can't be for us. We've got the answer. Why, why wasn't he born in my city? Why didn't he come to my inn? Whatever the reason is, they rage against him. They harden their hearts. He says, Let's, uh, they quote, Let, let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off all of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger, like, are you joking, and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion. You think he's weak. You think he's small. You think he's insignificant. Oh man, I've installed my king on my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession you will break them with an iron scepter you will shatter them like pottery now this is this is just the reality of who god is this is the one from antiquity past the eternal god so we we get all caught up here now in the temporary right we're like oh man you know that that's that's harsh that's judgment that's wrath we deserve it we we're asking for that in our rebellion in our rage against the lord's anointed and what does he do he says just humble yourself. Humble yourself to a place where you can receive the meek child born for your salvation. Oh, no, no, I've, I've got this figured out. Well, if you think you will, if you think you do, there will be judgment against you, and you'll shatter, be shattered like pot- pottery. But what does the Lord say? He says, now kings. And I, I think it applies to me, too. Not because I think I'm a king, but because I, I think that God probably thinks I think I'm a king sometimes. Right, of my own heart, of my own life. Like, I'm the king of my castle. You guys ever say that? I hope I'm not the only one. So now, kings, now you've heard from God Almighty in a, in a loud way, trying to over, overshadow the loudness of your own raging against him. Now that you've heard from him. Now, kings, be wise. Repent. Humble yourself. Be wise. Receive instruction. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling pay homage to the son this is what he's saying he's inviting he's inviting these kings understand that this meek child to be born the the lord's anointed the messiah is going to be lord over all and you will be shattered by him if you don't bow down and he's available so you should be wise and you should receive instruction and you should serve the lord in reverential awe you should rejoice even with trembling and you should pay homage to him or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion It's not, I'm angry and I'm going to kill you. It's, you have rebelled against God and you are going to get exactly what you wanted in your rebellion, you will perish. For his anger may ignite at any moment. And the very last promise here is this. All who take refuge in him are happy. We think that we can create our own happiness. We think we can, in our own strength, figure it all out. And that's not the case at all. We can't wherever our hopes and fears lead us, those temporary things, they lead us, we may be fulfilled for a moment, but we will end up empty and end up despairing and try to refill it again. We can only be filled when we come to him, totally empty, and seek him and hunger and thirst for him. We see that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The author of Hebrews goes on and writes this as a charge to us. He says, The Holy Spirit says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors, they tested me, they tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. I, I still am flabbergasted that human beings could do that. See the works and miracles of God and still wander away over and over again for 40 years. All the while, seeing his works, they tested and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger that they would not enter rest. Listen, what he's saying is, if you're gonna harden your hearts and live in rebellion, you will not find rest. But what is the opposite of that? What is the promise of that? If you and I would humble ourselves and get over ourselves and stop rebelling against the Almighty God and we would come to Christ, he says, come to me and what you will find, rest for your souls. That's what he offers to us. That's the promise. Only the empty can be filled. So this hope and humility has to say, I have to humble my own heart. I have to empty my own heart and say, 'I, I can't fill it with what I thought I could. I need more of Jesus and less of me. The proud and the fool will not enter rest, but the humble, who hear His voice, who repent of their sin, who trust in Him as Savior, they will find rest. Finally, as we are hoping in humility, number four, we see that the most significant, the most significant, came to the insignificant, and we've alluded to that over and over already, right? But the most significant came to the insignificant. Uh, verse four in our song. It turns into a prayer now. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. What a great way to end this song a prayer, a prayer from our own heart that, God, you would descend on us, that, we, that you would cast out our sin, that you would enter in and be born in us today, that you would affect real change within our hearts. And it wasn't just that. Listen, this is where the, I wrote in the most significant came to the insignificant. There's a lot of things I think in my life I could look back on and say, man, that was pretty significant. That was pretty special. That was a pretty special friendship, a pretty special relationship, a, a special relative or, what, or, or a special event, whatever it might have been. There, there might have been a significant points in my life that really meant something to me, that really helped me in fostering and forming my faith. But all of that credit and glory will go to the most significant, most high God. Amen? It's not in that, the, the specialness of the presenter or the preacher or the teacher or the music person. It was, this was a, a gift of God, and he is the most significant one. So we can't just find our hope in that special event, that special friendship or relationship, because everything here we've worn out and taken away eventually. And we will not be left with those anymore. We will only be left with what we have in our relationship with Christ. We hear the Christmas angels and and the great glad tidings tell. This should be a wake-up call for us. The the glad tidings of the Christmas angels were what? I bring you good news of what? Great joy will be for all people. A Savior. Today, a Savior is born for you. He is Christ the Lord. That is the promise. That is where our hope lies. And because it is great, and He is the Savior for all people, He is the most significant among all all of the significant things in our lives. And he came, the most significant came to the insignificant, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. So what is most significant about that? Well, he's God with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us, right? But in Micah chapter 5, we see that go, that, that prophecy go on in verse 4 about the pro, about the one born, about the Messiah. He will stand and shepherd them. This is a promise for you and for me. What's significant about the most significant one? He will stand and shepherd us. Truly shepherd us. Truly lead us where we need to go. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. This is the shepherd that we all need and we claim to want. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, not his own might. In the majestic name of the Lord his God. And they will live. You and I, they will live Securely. This is what we get from the most significant, most high God, is security, peace of mind, peace of heart, and then His greatness will extend. Right. This is not just a message that's locally uh, in Bethlehem. Right. Again, this goes back to the the good tidings of great joy for all people. Micah says, "His His Majesty, His greatness will extend. As if He wasn't great enough already, it will extend." to the ends of the earth. It wasn't just locally significant. He was globally the most significant person, human being, God in the flesh that we could ever worship or adore or make our savior. And he was not only a ruler or a shepherd, he was the one who cast out sin and that's what makes him so significant. He didn't come and just teach us as some spiritual guru or Zen master. That's not what he was here for. He was the sinless God who put on human flesh and lived a sinless life so that when he died, he would not have to die for his own sin. He died for our sin. Micah goes on, and and, in Micah 7, he just really, really shows us the fullness of this picture. Who is a God like you, he says. That is a great thing to, to start a prayer with. God, who is like you? Who, there's no one like you, God. You are the most high God. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. Well, What does he do with that faithful love? He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You know what that means? He will take out our sin. He will battle and war against it, and it will be gone. He says, you will cast all our sins, cast all our sins out in the depths of the sea. That's what we're just saying, right? Cast, cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. This is, it goes on, He says, you're going to cast the sins to the depths of the sea in Micah 7. In verse 20 it says, you will show Loyalty. To Jacob and faithful love to Abraham, as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. It, it, and it's not just for Abraham and Jacob; it's for those who are Abraham and Jacob's seed. It means it's available for all people who would believe. It's available for all of us. We could all come to believe and trust in faith in the Christ as Savior. He did what we should have had to do. He died in our place. He died the death we deserve. So how, how did he cast out our sin? That's exactly how he humbled himself. We talk about hoping in humility. He humbled himself. Philippians 2.8 says, He, Jesus, humbled himself by what? Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our hope is in humility. It is in the humility of God, the God of the universe, the ancient of days, the one from antiquity past to antiquity future who came and put on human flesh to dwell among us, not just to say, hey, here's a good way to live, but to die on a cross for our sins. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He he became sin for us. He took our place. Paul says in Corinthians, he made the one, that's Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that, this this is important, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Not in you, not in your hopes and fears, in Jesus Christ alone. Listen, there is significance for the insignificant. There is wisdom for the foolish. There is strength for the weak. There is forgiveness and righteousness for the empty. In his name, is Jesus. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Proclaim Him this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray together and then we enter a time of worship together. We're going to bring our children back in to participate alongside. We're going to start off in a moment by singing this song together. and I, I hope that as we've gone through this text today and the Word of God that there will be a richness to this song, maybe like you haven't seen before, And maybe it means that you need to listen to it as it's sung, or maybe you just sing it out and and, and mean every single lyric you sing and understand what what it means and the richness that it means. That there is hope in the lowly. There's hope in humility. God, thank you so much that you have given us everything we need through Jesus Christ. That God, he is our, our significance. He is our wisdom. He is our strength. He is our forgiveness and our righteousness. So we trust in him and we proclaim him today.